very honored in, uh, to have you here this morning, and we are most honored, it is my honor, to teach you the Word of God. What a blessing. I get an opportunity to teach you this morning, and what a great opportunity it is. And we believe God has a word for you this morning. We believe that God has a word for all of you that are, that are here. And uh, we're going to start out, we're doing a series called Stressed Blessed, right? In a world that's uh, full of stress, how many needs to move out of stress and move into blast, right? So, you know, I mean, we have, a, we have a world right now that's short of anxiety medicine. There, there was a shortage a few weeks ago, and they were saying up to a 60-day delay of anxiety medicine because the doctors are being overwhelmed with new prescriptions. So if that tells you anything about the state of our world um, and where everything is right now, people are feeling a lot of stress. The Bible says this in John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus speaks to his disciples, and he says, These things I say to you, that in me you might have peace. For in the world, everybody say this, in the world, I'm going to have trouble. But in Jesus, he's overcome the world. Right? So Jesus is saying, in this world, in this world system, in this place where you abide or where you have to live your natural life, you're going to have problems. But be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. The world we live in is fallen, broken. And chaotic. Can I get a witness? It's a very fallen place. It's a very broken place. And it's a very chaotic place. The world makes absolutely no sense sometimes, does it? it makes no sense. It doesn't make any rhyme or reason why things are the way they are. Why things happen the way they happen. There's no sense to it all. It's a world full of broken people, broken systems. And we, ent- we encounter and endure broken circumstances all of the time. Things don't always turn out the way they should. Things that, that does not mean that you have to live defeated. So I'm going to say that again. Things do not always turn out the way that they should. But that does not mean that you have to live defeated. That's good news. I want you to say it with me because you guys are looking at me like you don't believe it. We're believers and not doubters, right? Say this. Just because things don't work out the way that they should does not mean I have to live a life that is defeated. Jesus said there's going to be all kinds of problems, problems in the city, problems in the country. But the Bible promises us as believers blessing in spite of the problems. We go through what other people go under by. So we are going to walk in what other people sink in. And so one of the things we do as Christians, right, we we do not deny the trial. We're not denying that there aren't problems. We're not denying that there aren't overwhelming circumstances in our life. But what we do is we deny the trial it's right to defeat us. We're not denying the trial. We're not denying the difficulty. But we are denying that difficulty the right to defeat us. The problem is there. Jesus said the problem's there. But you have overcoming power. So that problem may happen to me. That, pr- that circumstance may come upon me. Those, that pressure may be there. But that pressure has no authority or right to defeat me. And I deny its right to defeat me. I deny it. No matter what's happened to you, God, Bible tells us this. God will work all things out to the good of those who love us, who love him and are called according to his purpose. The world we live in is very unstable and instability produces stress. Can I get a witness? Instability produces stress. That's what's going on. Just because there's stress doesn't mean that stress is going to defeat you. When Jesus said, I've overcome the world, what he's saying is he has denied this world's right, the ability to defeat you. This world, to those who are in Christ, has been stripped of its, of its ability to defeat the believer. There's no power. You're in the world, but you're not of it. You're going to have problems, but that wor- this world has no power to destroy you. None. In Christ, it's been stripped. 
We have authority. Bible says this. This Again, I just quoted it. Romans. And we know. In other words, we need to know this. That no matter what happens to me, no matter what choices I make, even if I make the wrong choices, God loves me so much that he's even going to use my stupid choices for my good. Come on. I got one. He's even going to use your stupid choices and turn it around for your good. That's good news. We We can live free in Jesus knowing that he is forever for us. And no matter what happens, if God be for me, who can be against me? What can man do to me? What can circumstances do to me? All things work together. How do we defeat stress and overcome circumstances is basically the the topic of this series and definitely the topic of this message. Number one, you acknowledge the stress. Denying that there's stress is not going to help you. Therapy taps into a truth that Christians need to tap into. We're people of truth, but we we sometimes deny the obvious. Just because you acknowledge the obvious doesn't mean you live in the obvious. Just because you acknowledge the problem doesn't mean the problem has a right to defeat you. We, de- we acknowledge the stress. What is your stressors? These are the top four. Time, money, unresolved conflict, and the unknown. Those are the top four pressure points. And I'm sure if you look at your life and try to figure out where the pressure points are in your life, it's going to be something related to time, something related to finances, something related to something that's unknown, and something related to unresolved conflict. And all of these things are happening right now as we speak. This unknown thing that's just kind of put all this pressure, has put pressure on people's time, has put people, pressure on people's money, and has caused conflicts to happen within relationships that oftentimes go unresolved. There's a lot of stress in homes right now. A lot of stress. They're predicting a lot of different things. I told Sherry, I said, I think the, the, uh, the pregnancy rate's going to go up. I think we're going to have a baby boom, number one. And there will probably be a lot of divorces, too, unfortunately, because, you know, people will be forced into conflicts that they can't resolve or they're unwilling to resolve. And that's a negative thing. That's the pressure that we're in. So we have to know how to deal with this stuff. The first thing we do is we acknowledge the stress. The second thing is we take action and responsibility where we can. People oftentimes, God's going to say, God's going to do everything for me. He's not going to do everything for you. There's an action and responsibility that you have a role to play. God said, God helps those that help themselves. That's not really a verse, but there is the principle of partnership in the scripture. The Bible tells us to do everything we can, and then we stand in faith. We do everything we can. We matter all of the things into obedience to the, to the things that God has told us, and then we look to him for the ability to take us past the point where we cannot go. That's how it works. God doesn't show, God, Jesus is all about showing up and doing the impossible. That's what he's all about. If you can do it, he's not showing up. You know, he, he'll be there. And he'll be go, okay, but you can handle that. You can handle that. When you get to the point where you can't handle it, you do everything you can. You wait for me and then I'm going to come through. It's what he does. That's how he is. The ship was about to sink when they were on the water, wasn't it? Lord, do you not care that we're perishing? Yeah, and Jesus is like, what? We're perishing? We're not perishing. Who told you that? Boom. Peace be still. He does what others cannot. We are called to take action. Christianity, our faith, is a participatory faith. When God created Adam, he told Adam to go and rule and subdue, to exercise the dominion, the authority, and the positional authority that he was given as a son of God, as a son of the highest. He was commanded to go. God wasn't going to go rule and subdue for him. He was going to go rule and subdue with him. You see the same thing in Matthew chapter 28. 
right? Well, we call it the Great Commission. It's not the Great Commission. It's the Great Recommission. Jesus has brought us back to the original system of order that he created in the beginning. That man now is sent, men and women are now in Christ, sons and daughters of the highest, sent out to rule and subdue. What's Jesus say in Matthew 28? All power and authority has been given to me. And then what's he say? Two-letter word called go. Go requires something of us, right? If you really even want to look at the word love, the word love is actually a verb. It's not a noun. It's not a thing. It's an action. It's a demonstration of something. We're called to take action. Ephesians 6, we're going to look at this chapter a little bit today. And so Ephesians 6 says, Having done everything you can, then stand. Well, I'm standing waiting on Jesus. Yeah, but there's still some things that you can do. There's still some responsibilities that you can take, right? I'm waiting for Jesus to fix my marriage. Well, have you apologized, right? (laughs) Well, no, I don't think I need to apologize. Jesus is just going to fix my marriage for me. Brother, he's not going to fix your marriage until you learn the the two most powerful words in any, any relationship with a woman, right? Doesn't always fix things, but it certainly helps. I, or three words, I am sorry, Those are the three most powerful words any man can learn. I am sorry. When I first got married, I thought I said I wanted a hat. And on the front, it said, what did I do? And then on the back, it said, I'm sorry. What did I do? I'm sorry. Because that was really where I was at. That was what I was dealing with a lot. Learning how to relate. Learning how to to understand what it looks like to be in a relationship with with another person. Yeah. So those are the things that, that, that happen to us. So having done everything you can, stand. I'm believing God is going to give me a job. God's going to give me a promotion. God's going to get me out of the job and bring me into a new job. Well, have you applied? Have you updated your resume? Having done all, stand. Right? This is the concept. We need, the, the world understands this, but the Christian doesn't. And we think that if some way that if we're taking action, that we're somehow denying faith. Well, who told you that? By taking action, you're actually taking responsibility. We are to have an ability to respond. That's what responsibility means. It means you have an ability to respond to the circumstance. And so we are to respond with our ability into the things that we can. Again, in concert with the Lord, and then when we've done everything that we can in the direction that we're leaning in, or that, we're, that God has called us to, then we wait and God will come through. Having done all, stand. And so we have to look at these things, and in an area of your life, where if time is your issue, so we have to look at time and say, okay, time's a big stressor for me. Time's a big thing with me right now. You say this with me. I cannot make time. I can only take it. Time cannot be made. We're all given a bank account of 24 hours. Every time we we count our day by midnight. So every time the clock strikes 12 midnight, we're given a new deposit of 24 hours. We can't get any more than that. We're given time and we we cannot make it. We can only take it. We can take it and we have to take it from the things that are less priority and we have to invest it. Time is an investable commodity. If you do nothing with it, it will be wasted and it will be lost. When you're young, your bank account of time seems incredibly full, doesn't it? You're looking, oh, I have time. I have time. You cross that threshold of 35 and you're like, what am I doing? Time becomes incredibly valuable to you. When you're younger, you don't use all the time in the world. You have to redeem time. The word redeem is buy it back or take it back. That's why when Jesus says you're redeemed of the Lord, it means he bought you. He purchased you. 
we have to purchase the time or take the time from areas. What does that look like? Cut out the non-essentials. have a lot of non-essentials in our life, right? I mean, people go, Netflix is essential. Yes, but is 12 hours of Netflix really essential? <laughs> Five days a week, 12 hours of Netflix. Is it really essential? Right? We have to take the time from the non-essentials. We have to steward the time. Stewarding the time is investing it with a return. What you're doing here this morning is a stewardship of time. What you're doing here this morning, what you're doing here watching by Facebook and watching by live stream, you are investing your time in something that is going to produce a return in your life. When you come before the Lord, there is no such thing. Anything that relates to Jesus is never a waste of time. Ever. If Jesus is involved, you are not wasting your time. I'm telling you that right now. No such thing. Because no matter what you do, or any place you come, or any time you encounter the Lord, no matter the atmosphere, you're going to walk away with a blessing. That can be sure. The only way you're not going to walk away from a blessing is if you keep your hand over the basket. Right? Oh, no, God. Oh, no. But if you open yourself to a blessing, the Lord has always got something for you. Always. Doesn't matter. You don't know what I did last night. Doesn't matter. You don't know what I did with this morning. Doesn't matter. He loves you. He's for you. Even when he's against you, he's always got something good for you. You have to steward. So right now you're stewarding your time. You're investing your time in something meaningful. You have to be intentional about your time. You have to dedicate time to specific things. It's something called discipline. We're disciples, right? Go into all the world and make disciples. Disciples. The church has got this idea that we make converts. Yes, we make converts. But the converts, so those who give their lives to Christ, are converted where? What does this mean? Out of darkness into light. The power of the Lord comes into them, and their life is changed. All things become new. They're converted into a new world, a new reality, a new kingdom. That's true. But those who are converted into a new world, a new reality, are called to be disciples. And the word disciple means a learner under discipline. Let's just say it. The word disciple means learner under discipline. So we are to learn and then apply the discipline of that learning to our lives. And as we learn and apply discipline, discipline becomes a delight. What discipline really is, is a direction. It's not a whip. It's not a stick. We, we have this thing, well, I'm going to discipline that kid, go stand in a corner. That's not it at all. Discipline in the scripture is a direction. It means that my life is disciplined in that direction, that my life is focused in that direction. This is the road that I'm on, and I'm, if I hit the guardrail, then okay, but I'm going to keep, keep the, my life disciplined on that road. If I go off the road and go into the ditch, I'm going to come back up the ditch, and I'm going to get back up on that road. That's what it means. I'm going to say something very controversial. When we first started this church, this was a big thing. Somebody's like, come up to me and says, I don't agree with the statement that you just made. Well, the longer I've been a pastor... The more I realize that this statement is true, I want you to say this. The kingdom is not about perfection. We'll just leave it there. Let all the religious people that just heard me say that, let them get really uncomfortable. The kingdom is not about perfection. Say it with me. It's about direction. Your faith and your following of Jesus has nothing to do with your perfection. It's about your direction. In God's eyes, you're already perfect. There's no more, he's not going to love you anymore. There's nothing that you can do to expound his love upon you. Your actions, your discipline into his way creates destiny. That's what it does. It doesn't create love. 
Obedience doesn't create God loving you more. Obedience activates the power, the promise, the provision, the inheritance that's rightfully yours. That's what obedience does. Lots of born-again believers that are not, that do not, that are disobedient. The Bible has a word for them called carnal, fleshly. You are a carnal believer. Are you not carnal? Right? So they're Christians who ask Christ into their heart, but have never done anything ever at any time to discipline themselves into the way. That's actually what we are. The early Christians were called followers of the way. What way? Jesus' way. The way, the truth, and the life. What's Jesus' way? The way of the kingdom. The will of the Father. That's the way that we are to discipline our lives into. So we have, to, we have to be intentional about the person that we are. We have to understand and stop condemning yourself because you can't be perfect. You can't. Be holy as I am holy. You're already holy. You're already holy. I don't know if you understand that. You're already holy. You are holy before the Lord. When you come before, you can come right into the throne of grace in the Spirit. And in the Spirit, you are holy. The way you manifest holiness in this world is through the Holy Spirit. I want you to say this with me. There is no holiness without the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. Good luck. Good luck. We need to be holy. Holy, holy, holy. We have entire church movements that are called holiness movements. You can't be holy. You can't be holy. You've been around those guys? I have. They're some of the most religious and uptight people you'd ever meet in the world. They know all the right things but couldn't care less because the agape flow and the love of God does not reside in their heart because they're trying to prove themselves through externals. You can't do it. You can't. There's no such thing as holiness without the Holy Spirit. Positionally before heaven, you're holy. That's just the reality. You manifest holiness through a power and in walking in the Spirit. When you're in the Spirit, you're holy. Some of you are just glowing right now from the worship. And you're feeling it. And you feel amazing. You're like, I feel great. I feel holy, I feel clean, I feel pure, I feel lifted, because you're in the Holy Spirit. You are holy, right? You are experiencing the reality of the holiness that already belongs to you. It's already yours. And you experience it. It's an experiential faith. You get it? You got it? We've cut that word experience out of our, out of our churches. We either force the experience. We have churches that want to force the experience. It's not a forced thing. We can't force it. And people don't think that the Holy Spirit's moving unless somebody's jumping chairs and shouting. And, you know, I mean, if you want to shout and jump chairs, hey, go for it. But do it in the spirit, man. Don't do it because you're trying to manufacture something. Or then we have the other side that says, no, we can't experience anything. No, 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 no. We don't want it to get too crazy. We don't want to go too far. We're not, we haven't even gone far enough. We're so worried about going too far. We haven't even begun to go far enough. You cannot manifest holiness without the Holy Spirit. So give yourself a break. You're already holy in Christ. You already are. You're accepted in the beloved. You can't be more holy than you are. You couldn't even come before the Lord unless you were holy and perfect in the Old Testament. You would drop dead. You tried to come into the holy and holies behind the veil, you wouldn't make it. You touch the ark, you drop down dead because man was not holy at all. He had no ability to be holy. Now we're in Christ, and we come boldly. We can come right up to the throne of the Father Himself in the Spirit. Why? Because we're by the new and living way. We enter the holy place. We're holy because Jesus has made you holy. That's in the Spirit. Holiness is not about your externals. It's about your position. The position of holiness is different than the manifestation of holiness. 
the position. You have, we have children. Anybody here with children? Right? Okay, anybody there at home here with children? Right? That kid is positionally your son, whether they act like it or not. There's a difference between that being your child and them manifesting what it looks like to be your child. There are days when it's like, whoo, that's my baby, right? And then there are days like, is that my child? I think he gets that from your side. I don't know. That's not, you know. It's the same way with the kingdom. We are God's sons and daughters in Christ. We are positionally his. And then there are, when we're in the spirit and we start moving in the spirit, we begin to look like his child. And that's why the believer went from follower of the way to Christite. Christians. You know what that means? Images of Jesus. You want to be Jesus? Try it without the Holy Spirit. Good luck. Got a lot of believers running around thinking they can be Jesus and manifest good works without the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. You can't do it. You just can't. Paul said, I didn't come to you with cunning words. I came to you with demonstration and power. Demonstration and power. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Signs, wonders, yes. But also in the glowing life of Christ alive in you. How about that one? Don't neglect that well. There's no holiness without the Holy Spirit. Good luck. That person tell me a long time ago, a lady comes up to me and she goes, she grabs the microphone from me. This is back when I, you know, we've always been a little free form, but we were really free form one time. There. You know, she's like, I just have the, something to say. You know, and it was, you know, we were just having a gathering. I thought, oh, she's going to pray. She grabs the microphone and she goes, this church needs holiness. I was like, okay, can I have that mic back, please? I'm like literally chasing her around the room going, give me back the microphone. I've had people over the years want to tell me, we got to have holiness. You know how much sin there is in the church? I'm like, yep, of course. Like, I got to tell you about some sinful things going on in the church, pastor. I'm like, yeah, if I met with you, I'd tell you 10 things you're not even aware about. I'm not afraid. People are sinners. It's not about, we, we judge ourselves by our externals. God does not look at the external. He looks at the heart. That's not to justify bad behavior. I want to say this very clearly. I'm not justifying bad behavior. But I am saying that you cannot manufacture holiness. You cannot manufacture acceptance. Not now, not ever. It's not by works of righteousness. There is nothing that you can do to manufacture God's acceptance of you. Nothing. You're already accepted. What you do is you manifest the reality of the identity of the person that you are. When you operate in obedience and you operate in the spirit, what you're doing is you are in alignment with your current identity. You're not becoming a son. You're already a son. The minute you come to Jesus, you're a son. The minute you come to Jesus, you're a daughter. You're not going to be you are. This is how it works. He calls you what you are long before you get there. Daughter. You're like, I don't look like daughter. I don't look anything like it. You're a daughter of the highest. You're a son of the highest. Have you looked in the mirror? Are you looking at me? You know, same thing with Gideon, man of valor. He's looking over his shoulder. Like, who, who are we talking to? You talking to me? He calls you who and what you are long before you got there. That's, that's it. Thank you, Jesus. And what he's trying to get you to do is understand that for yourself. And you go, well, Lord, I don't have any ability to live this way for you. I don't have any ability to live up to the standard that you put on me. And he's like, happy day, Kevin. You've recognized your inability because my strength is perfected where? In your weakness. I can do all things through what? Christ who strengthens me. Apart from him, I can do nothing. Get the picture? 
Yet somehow we think we can do it all. Somehow, like Galatia, foolish Galatians who has bewitched you. One of my favorite verses, having begun in the spirit, do you now believe you can do this in the flesh? Charismatic, spirit-filled church that now went into religious doctrine. Galatia. Charismatic, Ephesus was the same way. Spirit-filled. Kingdom met with power. And they became one of the most religious churches in all of the Bible. How do we know? Revelation tells us. You're solid in all your doctrine, but you've lost the agapeo. You've lost the charismata. You've lost the flow of the Spirit through love. The ministry of the Spirit by love. Not your love, His love. It's by the Spirit. Holy Spirit is absolutely 10,000% essential. It's why we help you in the morning here. We're trying to get you. What's all this? Open up your heart and experience the Lord about, Kevin. What's all that? Because you say it with me. I need to learn to practice the presence. You are not bound to this world. You're bound to that one. You want to know the world you're bound to? You want to know the world where he relates to you? It's that one in the spirit. You, you have to learn not only to practice his presence, you have to move, begin to learn that how to move in that reality. It's not a myth, it's a reality, and it's a reality that's greater than this one. But it's foreign to us. We're like fish out of water. You understand? That's the whole idea. There's two worlds. If you go underwater, you are, you are, you are very limited in that world. Right? If you take a fish out of water, he's very limited out of that world. And what happens is, is that we are born not just for this one. In Christ, we're born for his world, but we are unfamiliar with his world. We are unfamiliar with the world of the spirit. Yet, it's the very thing we're called to do. And we believe we can do it all through doctrine. I'm all in on doctrine. I love doctrine. I'm a biblical expositor. If you really want to know what I am, I can expound the Bible that's really my strength, is biblical exposition. But I teach practical application on Sunday morning. I'm all in on doctrine. I'm a word guy, bar none. But I realize I have been a follower of Christ for a long time, and I've been in Christian leadership for a long time, and I have recognized and realized the limitation of that line of thinking. To think that it's only by doctrine, it's only by the regurgitation of knowledge and experience has nothing to do with this. We're absolutely fools. We're fools to think that it's all experience and we don't need doctrine. That's completely foolish. But we're just as foolish as to believe that it's all doctrine and not experience. The, the word kills, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And so it's the combination of the word of God matched with the spirit of God flowing in love, charismata. That's the deal. That's how your life is. If money's your issue, so time's your issue. If you invest it, be intentional, redeem it. If money's your issue, I got a word for you. If money's your issue and you're a Christian, my first word to you is honor the Lord. Article A, God has a financial plan. God not only has a financial plan, Jesus, what do do they call this? A stimulus plan or something? What's going on? Jesus has a stimulus plan. He's got, he's got, God's got a plan always and forever. And our relationship financially flows directly through the kingdom. Doesn't mean God won't provide for you. Doesn't mean that at all. He'll provide for you in season and out. But I want you to say this. Say it with me. There is a big difference between measure and fullness. There is a big difference between measure and fullness. 
God's provision over your life, many of you, you experience God's provision and you experience the measure of God's provision. But you do not experience the fullness of God's provision. The way that we experience the fullness of, his God, of God's provision or the way we access it is through faithfulness to the things that he says. Very important. And one of the things is with money. Very easy. We act like money doesn't matter when we come to church. But we walk out the door, we're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. How much did you tip? You tipped 20%? <laughs> You're connected to an abundant source, man. You're sons and daughters of the highest. Money is never Jesus' problem. And you got to get that in your head. Well, money may not be Jesus' problem, but it sure is mine. Are you faithful? So I tell people, are you faithful? You complain against the Lord, yet you are not faithful. You have and you want because you rob God. Oh, well, well, I don't know. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Bible says if you rob the Lord, you take your money home with a bag of, in a bag of holes. Honor the Lord and your barn will burst forth with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Eh? It's the whole point of Malachi 3. You should read it. The people are raging. God, you don't care for me. We've torn my clothes. I've prayed. I've thrown dirt on my head. I look sad. You know, the homeless guys are giving me their food. And, you know, I mean, they're like, wow, you're worse than me here, man. You, tell you. <laughs> you don't care for me. And the Lord says, you have that perspective because you will not honor me. He takes it even further. He says, you rob me. Say, we don't have to give as Christians. No, you don't. You don't. You get to. You will say the tithes in the Old Testament. No, tithes in the New. Jesus said, you should tithe. And not neglect the weightier things. Oh, we got a bunch of people that want to deny the tithe. Yet it's right there in the scripture. Jesus said he never rescinded the tithe. He merely changed it. He changed it from an obligation to a demonstration of obedience and love. It's just shifted. The tithe made it through the cross. It's there. And now the tithe is not given to you by mandate. It's given to you to demonstrate love. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. You say you love me, prove it. You say I have faith, prove it. It's one of the ways we demonstrate to the Lord. With the most valuable resources of our lives beyond our time, you're demonstrating faith right now. You are investing a very valuable resource, your time. Your time. Whole other story. Honor the Lord. Number two, if money's your issue, first, A, B, C, honor the Lord. That is, that is article one. Examine and control your spending. We can't honor Jesus, but we got the iPhone 55,000. Right? We got a global cell phone plan. We've got, you know, 70-inch flat screen TVs in our household and three car loans, but we can't honor Jesus. <laughs> so true. So true. I'm bring, and I'm bringing the car up into the driveway. We're going to hit where you live. Right? So true. So true. We have everything we need, but we can't honor Jesus. Got a boat in your driveway. Can't honor Jesus. Spent $1,000 on gasoline taking that boat out on the weekend. But you can't honor Jesus. Huh? I said I will live in a car and eat ramen noodles if I have to, but I will honor the Lord. I will make no offering to God that costs me nothing. I will passionately pursue Him and give Him everything, and I will pursue Him no matter the personal cost. I will pursue Him because that is my summons. That is the ekaleo. The church is what we are, right? It's rooted in the word ekaleo, which means to call. 
at Kaleo, called out, called unto, called forth. We are summoned unto this king. And this is part of our summons. Well, they just told me I just needed to be a Christian. It's called discipleship. There's a difference between Christianity and discipleship. Right? There's a difference between measure and fullness. Right? There's a difference. Stop wasting your money. Downsize. That would be another thing. If you want to help, you know, look, where you're, where, look where you're spending. Stop wasting it. Downsize. Side hustle. That's a big thing. Side hustle. Side hustle. Well, I'm just believing God to provide for me. Well, give him an opportunity. Give him something to work with. Right? I'm going to teach you a wealth principle. Some of you may know it because you understand this stuff. I have a friend. He comes to this church. And um, he will absolutely not mind me sharing this story. In fact, he wants to testify of this story. He, um, hears, he's been here for a long time, and he's heard a bunch of stuff that I've said. And he actually applies it, which is amazing. I'm like, wow, you actually do it? Wow, this is fantastic. Can we put you on film to actually show that there are people that listen to this and do it? You know? And he was telling me that like, he's been investing in stocks, right? That's just one of the things, and he doesn't, but he's been doing all his research. And he, he, he gets around these guys who've made a ton of money. A ton of money. And he starts asking him, hey, if you were me and you were my age, what would you do? How would you do it? And he says, one of this guy who's just like loaded looks at him and he says, the first thing I would tell you is go and, lo- go and learn money. That's what he told him. He comes back to me and he goes, he goes, can you believe that? The guy told me, I asked him, how do I make money? And the first thing he told me was go learn money. I said, that guy just gave you the key to the whole kingdom. Money gravitates to the people that understand it most, not the people who, may, who want it most. Money moves to the people who understand it most. They understand it. And how does money make? Common people work for paychecks. Wealthy people work for income. In order to get to the place of income, you take your paycheck and begin to build something that creates an income. This is what he's doing. It's what I told him. And I said, you've got to go and learn. He, this guy just told you the, the, key to, the key to everything. If you don't understand money, and you don't understand how money gravitates and where it goes, people get $1,200 stimulus checks, and they go out and buy a television. It's true. Well, I'm in need. Where's my stimulus check? I've got to get that new TV. Stimulate me. What if you took that, what if you took that, that 1200 bucks or whatever it is, and you doubled it, and you tripled it? What if you took that 1200 bucks and you 10X'd it? Oh, now we're talking. What if you took that 1200 bucks and for the next year, 18 months, you 10X that money to 12000 Now you have a platform of $12,000 that you can begin to move into bigger and better. This is how it works. It doesn't work through, through, through this type of stuff. We'll have to do something on money one time. We'll have to do a business thing here. But you've you got to understand how money works. You don't understand how money works, you'll never have it. Or you'll always be living by paycheck. Right? And a lot of times when you're making investable income or you're creating something that produces income, it takes a sacrifice. And as Americans, we don't like to sacrifice. Oh, I have to drive a new car, Pastor. You see, I gotta have a new car every two years, or I just, you know, my, my ego, they won't say that, but you know, I'm like the worst I'm not I don't want to say that. I'm not gonna get into that. I'm gonna stop it right here. Back up, but create a side hustle, whatever that side hustle is. Sell on eBay, sell on Poshmark, deliver pizzas. I mean, I don't know, whatever it is. My daughter, I'm going to use Mariah. My daughter paid off $10,000 in debt by doing secret shopper and surveys. 
Yeah. How long did it take her? Almost two years. But she paid off $10,000 in debt by going and doing toothpaste trials and going and uh, doing a secret shopper thing and getting paid to go eat in a restaurant and write a review. I mean, that's what she did. And she was on that thing every day, every single day. And I asked her, and she said, Daddy, she's, I was like, well, what are you doing? I said, maybe, ready? Maybe you could teach this to your brother. <laughs> and she's like, well, you just have to be on it every day. She's like, if you're on it every day, and then she learned where the money was. She learned where the, the, where, who paid the most. And then she would blow off the things that didn't pay very well. And then she would get paid with the things that did. But she did that. Now she'd have to get in her car and drive. She'd have to go there. She had to put something on the table. But she was ap- actually able to pay off a large amount of debt in, in about a year and a half. And she didn't do it immediately. And she was still working. And when she was in between jobs, she you know, downsized for a period of time. She moved back in with us before she was married and she was making her income merely off of doing that. You have to side hustle. You have to find it. You know, everything doesn't work with every person, but you, there is something that you can do something things that are unknown to you beyond your control. So this is how we deal with things unknown to us and beyond our control. This is for somebody here this morning. Somebody's in, somebody's going, what do I do? Well, there's a big revelation for you. Then here's the things that things that are beyond your control. There are many, say this with me. There are many things that are beyond my control, but there are many things that I can control in the midst of the uncontrolled circumstances. You can control your attitude. In the midst of the uncontrolled circumstances, you can control your choices. You can, make an, you can make a quality decision and you can focus on the positive. Try that out. You can make a quality decision and focus on the positive. Unresolved conflicts. I got two points here and I'm going to, this one's a little bit long, but I'm going to just try to bring it home quick here. Wasn't planning on doing the whole financial jump, but I felt the... Lord drawing me there, so I, my job is to follow. Unresolved conflict. This is another big stressor. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Unresolved conflict. Okay? Like a marriage. Unresolved conflict. One of you is a stuffer. You know? One of you is a terror. Sometimes we know this is how we react. You know? We're the stuffers. And just stuff it. And all of a sudden, you lift the lid on that garbage can, and it's like, whoa, where'd that come from? It's been stuffed the whole time. Sometimes it's terrorists. You know, you're going to dirty bomb. Oh, you, got, you said that to me? Oh, don't worry. I'm going to get you back. People are terrorists. Right? And get you back. Find a way when you're vulnerable and they're going to zing you. And there's the frappuccino. I'm going to ice you out. Oh, no, everything's fine. <laughs> Scripture's clear. We are to resolve our conflicts. The Bible is very definitive on this topic. We must resolve our conflicts as much as depends upon you, the Bible says. Endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. As much as you can do, resolve the conflict. You can't always resolve the conflict with another person, can you? You can want to work it out, but they don't want to work it out. Right? So as much as depends upon you. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to endeavor. We're supposed to make an effort. We're supposed to, if we reach a point where somebody's got to be wrong in order for the thing to take place, it says, accept the wrong. This is hard. It says, you bite and devour one another. You're wrong with each other. Why not accept the wrong? Just accept the wrong and move on. Move on. He's talking about going to court and fighting each other and all these things. He's like, look, stop doing it. And then, ready? You say, well, what if they really hurt me? Aha, we got you. 
deal with your offenses. So on the trivial matters, we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. On the trivial matters, we are to just let it go. Let it go. Let it roll right off your shoulders, don't you know? Anyway, so, uh, I don't know. What's that song? What's that? That's a movie. Anyway. Deal with your offenses. So if you, you in, in trivial matters, do what you can. Resolve it. If it's just something, man, dude, I don't even care. Here, have the box of fries. I don't care. Just accept the wrong. But if it's something that's hurt you, and so, say it, if it hurt me, if it's bothering me, I'm supposed to deal with it. So this is where Christians are off a lot of times, and they tell you, well, you just need to get past that. You just need to forgive. You just need, no, 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 no. That's not what the Bible's telling you. It's not telling you to just forget it and just get, well, we're just supposed to let it go. On trivial matters, if it's a wound or an offense, we're to deal with it. But we're to deal with our own issues first. So here's the two places where God talks about this very thing. Matthew chapter 7 is about people who run around and want to tell everybody else what time it is. You want to tell everybody about the speck in their eye and you're walking around with a big plank in your eye. Right? Of all the people that tell me that, you're going to tell me that. And the Lord says, look, if you're going to tell people about that, deal with yourself first. Remove the plank from your own eye. Deal with your own issues. Well, I'm going to go and confront him on your anger. Well, how about deal with yours first? How about that one? I'm going to go and confront her on her lack of respect. Well, how about deal with yours first? Take account for your area where you have been unrespecting, where you've been disrespectful. Take account for the areas of your life where you have lacked honor. And then go and speak. Matthew 18 says that we're supposed to go to someone. If someone has offended you, this is offense. The word, this is the big one. Hurt, where you've been pushed back. If, something, if someone has done something to you that's pushed you back, or if you've done something, to, it, they, they, you've been pushed away. That's what the word offense means. You're supposed to, everybody say it with me. Go. Go to them. We don't like conflict. We don't like confrontation. But we're supposed to do it in a loving way. And you say, well, if I go to them and say, I'll use Ingrid. Ingrid's going to come to me. Ingrid goes, Pastor, you know, you just said that thing and, and you just really, really hurt me. And she'd be like, no, I don't want to tell the pastor. I don't want to tell him. No, no. No, I'm going to tell him it really hurt me. And you know what I would say? I'm saying, I'm very sorry. I never meant to hurt you. It wasn't my intention. I apologize. We have peace. If I go, grow up, Ingrid. <laughs> She's supposed to go and get someone else and come to me and go, no, Kevin, what, I, I, you know, what she told me sounds really hurtful, you know? And so I think you should account for the hurt that she's caused you or you've caused her. And, I, and if I listen to that, we have peace. If they don't listen to that, then you're supposed to, this is what he's talking about, Christians. Unity among the believer is not optional. There is no, Jesus doesn't give us an out to have disunity. There's no out. We are to be unified. We may not agree, but we can be unified. There's a difference, right? And so, like, if, you, if then if it doesn't happen between you and the other person, then you're supposed to take it to the leadership of the church because we're supposed to have spiritual accountability. So the assumption is, is that you'll be mature on your own, but if you won't be mature on your own, then you're supposed to take it to the spiritually mature, and the spiritually mature is supposed to guide you and instruct you. And if they won't listen to that counsel, then you're to treat them as immature as an unbeliever. Doesn't mean they are an unbeliever, but they're just undeveloped. And you're just, just like you would treat an unbeliever, and you're supposed to go, well, they don't know any better, they're just stupid in that area, and then you just move on. 
So if it's the same thing, like, okay, so you're in, you're in a marriage. Let's put it in context of a marriage, right? Let's just really put it on the living room couch. So your wife comes to you, hey, da-da-da-da-da, this hurt me. I don't like it. This, you know, this is some things we got to work on. Or you go to her, which is usually the wife coming to the guy, but eventually the guy learns if he's been married a long time. That's me. I've learned. I've learned the model. I'm like, oh, wow, you can do that? I'm allowed to do that? And so then I would go to her and say, look, I don't really like the way that you've been talking to me here. I wish you would talk to me a little bit differently. And to Sherry's credit, for the most part, she always says, well, how would you like me to talk to you? And she changes, right? And for the most part, now me, I'm the same way. Hey, you were a little wrong. I felt you were really harsh there. And you, you, know, you, you, you wronged me. Well, I'm sorry. That was not my intention. I apologize to you. That's what I try to do, right? We've been through this. We've been to every counselor. I've told you guys this story. Been married 30 years. We had counselors look at us and go, I, I, don't, I just don't know what I can tell you guys. I mean, you guys just seem to know everything. I mean, because we had been to so many counselors. I'm like, yeah, I know. You know, so we had to reach this. We had to come to this greater place of understanding. But if you, if you are in a marriage, in a marital situation, and there is things that are not resolved. I'm not talking about unresolved in a day. But there are ongoing issues within the home that are not resolved. The Bible gives you an option of going to another and typically, that could be marriage counseling. doesn't mean you got, I'm going to walk him before the pastor. Now, if the church is able to help you with that, then the church should. But you're able to go to another. Most, most married couples try to work it out within themselves. And when you reach a point of impasse or a point of conflict, you need someone to help you work that out. Right? And to hand you the talking spoon. When Sherry's holding the talking spoon, Kevin, that means you don't talk. Do you understand that? When Kevin's holding the talking spoon, Sherry, that means you don't talk. How about saying it differently, Kevin? How about, how about using a sing-song voice? Sing-song. So one counselor told me, Sherry, when you talk to me like that, <laughs> it really hurts my feelings. <laughs> He's talking about changing the tone and the way that I would talk. Talking, Sherry, you need, to tell, you need to speak to him respectfully first. You need to honor him first. He'll hear you if you honor him first, and then he'll hear you. You need to speak to her lovingly. If you speak and communicate lovingly, then she'll hear you. Men respond to respect and honor, not obedience, but honor, a value as a person. Women respond to love. It's just how we're wired. So when we communicate, that's how we do. And then the rest of Ephesians is going to talk about the armor of God. So the Bible tells us that we're supposed to stand. We're supposed to stand in these ways. We're supposed to deal with the things that we can deal with, including the broken relationships. But what do I do about the circumstances that are overpowering me? What do I do about the things that are constantly pushing me around? You can read it later. I'm not going to read it all for you just for the sake of time. But Ephesians 6 through chapter, uh, chapter 6 through 10 through 18 very familiar, but it tells us to stand in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Right? Circumstances are going to come into your life and they're going to start pushing you around. They're going to start knocking you around. You're going to start doing all these different things to you. And what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to learn to stand. God is not going to stand for you. You have to stand. Right? Stand and see the salvation of your God. Stand and, know, stand and watch. The battle is not yours. The battle is mine. But yet they still had to stand, right? Two very familiar passages, but the same thing is, is referenced. They had to stand. They had to take a position. We have to take a position in the Lord. We have to draw from the power of His might. So this is talking about external situations, things that we don't longer have any control over. 
The other things like your time, your relationships, there's got to be some kind of way to work that through. But this is dealing with this. So we, we strong in the Lord and in the power of his might so that we can stand against the devil's schemes. Most people don't even know what the devil's scheme is. Devil's scheme's real simple. John 10, steal, kill, and destroy. Real simple. Good God, bad devil. So what is he trying to do? What the enemy will do is when circumstances come upon you, he will aggravate those circumstances or allow those circumstances to reach a point of aggravation in order to do what? To steal your joy, to kill your joy, or destroy your joy. To steal your hope, to steal your future, to steal your health, to steal your your peace, to steal your unity, to steal your faith, to steal your destiny, and to steal your vision. The pressure that's come on COVID has created fractures in the body of Christ. There's massive divisions among churches. Whether it's the COVID, whether it's the social issues, or whether it's the political issues, there is huge division in the body of Christ right now. Huge. And we and then, I just did a whole series on that, but the point is, is that we don't have an excuse to not unify. We're to unify. We're to be strong in the Lord. And what the enemy is doing is he's allowing this pressure to be applied. Or he's in this pressure, he's exposing our weaknesses. And the division is there. And what is he doing? He's stealing our unity. Stealing our... And in turn, this is what happens. A lot of times it happens with, with the pressure. People abandon their faith under pressure. Well, this doesn't work. You know, God doesn't love me. Whatever it may be. They lose their vision. He's trying to steal something from you. So if you can understand that, that's why the Bible's saying, stand. Did I tell you that? No, you didn't, Lord. Then do what I told you to do. Did I tell you to quit? No, you didn't, Jesus. Then do what I told you to do. Did I tell you to give up? No, you didn't, Jesus. Then do what I told you to do. Did I tell you to run away? No, you didn't, Jesus. Then do what I told you to do. Did I tell you you're not loved? No, you didn't, Jesus. Then do what I told you to do. Did I tell you you're not worth it? No, then do do what I told you. It's on and on. This is how it goes. And we cannot allow the enemy to do those things in our life. The enemy antagonizes the brokenness of this world, and he produces devastation. He uses it. He uses it. He uses the chaos. He uses the calamity. And the pressure is going to be there. That's what Jesus said. The problems are going to come, but how we react to this and how we posture ourselves needs to be different than what we do. Right? We shouldn't, we shouldn't do this. So what happens? Accelerate stress. Stress gets accelerated. Ready? Ready for this? When stress is accelerated, you make poor decisions, don't you? Don't you? You make horrible decisions when stress is accelerated. Stress and anxiety is accelerated. Oh my gosh, I quit. You know, we, I mean, we quit, we give up, we do all these different things. I mean, I know people that have ended up getting pregnant because they slept with their boyfriend because they felt the anxiety of the stress that, that, oh, he may leave me, he may leave me, he may leave me. Where in an ordinary situation, they would have never done that. Yet the stress and the anxiety put them in a position where they chose poorly. Can God not use that? Of course God can use that. Can God not work through that? Of course God cannot work through that. But the regret of that decision is there. Oh, I know it's going to get real quiet on this one. How many times have we done things with jobs? We've done things with relationships. We've done things with money. We've acted impulsively because of the stress that's been on our life. Ah, I didn't expect a few amens on that, but that's okay. So that's okay. Look, we've all done it. I've done it. I've done absolutely stupid decisions under stress. And, but I'm sick. I got sick of it a long time ago, and I said, I'm not living like this. I'm not living like this. I don't care if the house burns down. If Jesus doesn't tell me to move, I'm not moving. I'm standing right here. I'm not going to do it. I will not react to stress. Stress is not my master. 
The word of God is my master. The spirit of God is my master. Circumstances are not my master. This is the mentality we have to have. The armor gives us the ability to stand. So we're just going to walk and do a quick walk through the armor. How do we stand? Well, the Bible says put on the armor of God. What does that mean? So that you can stand. What is the armor of God? It looks like this. God's, Paul's going to break down to the church at Ephesus the components of armor in order that we could understand where our vulnerability lies. And so that we can reinforce ourselves against the things that make us vulnerable. So we're just going to go top down. The helmet of salvation. What does that mean? Do you know who you are? Huh? Do you know you're born again? That's A. And B, if you're born again, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Right? Tom, you were just healed for two autoimmune diseases, right? Two. Not one. Two. Diagnosed with autoimmune twice. Right? And what were we talking about? I said, this is a son of the highest. This is not his inheritance. He could have rolled over and gone, oh, you know, it's just the way it is. And, you know, I'm just going to be this way. And I'm going to be an invalid. And I'm going to be bedridden for the rest of my life because this is what's befallen me. I said, this is not your inheritance. You have to know who you are. Poverty is not your inheritance, Christian. Let's put it even more practically. It's not your inheritance. We refuse to participate in the recession. What recession? Heaven's not broke. I'm not bound to this world. I'm in season and out. God provides for me. You have to have this mentality. Do you know who you are? Do you know that you're born again? The Christian vacates their rights. And the enemy, if you are the son of God, that's what he does first. If you are a daughter of God, he challenges your identity. So if you don't know it, you're going to lose. That's the helmet of salvation. If you don't have that on and you're not, on, you're not clear in your understanding of who you are, who he is, what your rights are, what's been promised to you, and what's available to you, you're going to, he's going to whipsaw you all day long. And when you're being whipsawed, you have to look at that and go, wait a second. Uh, this isn't my inheritance. This isn't the promise that's over my life. This isn't my destiny. This isn't who I am. You have to, again, put, put that armor on. The breastplate of righteousness. It's about guarding your heart. That's part of it. It can be soul pollution. We do body pollution. We do environmental pollution. We don't have any conversations about soul pollution. All of the stuff that we fill our eyes and our ears and the environments that we find ourselves in, we corrupt our souls and our emotions through the toxins that we take in daily. Daily. You know, we inundate. Six hours of the news. Has anything ever good come from that? I just want to ask. Have you ever watched six hours of news and said, I'm going to change the world? Nobody watches six hours of news and does anything except want to get under the blanket and watch Downton Abbey to watch something hopeful and peaceful and restful. You know? We fill ourselves with all of these things. We have to guard our heart from what we're putting in. We have to fill our heart with good things. But it also means, say it with me, purify your heart. This is a big thing. Jesus says this. Well, Psalm says this. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. What does that mean? It means areas in your life that you are directly disobedience. It means undealt with offenses in your life or unrepented and unrestored sin. God's going to go, well, I'm waiting you know, Lord, are you going to listen to me? Yeah, I'm listening to you, dude. But I told you to do these things. We can't go any further. We can't go to algebra until you learn remedial math. You're failing at 1 plus 1 equals 2, and you already want to jump past all of these other things, go to calculus or trig. You already, you're already down the road. You know, And yet you don't understand these basic principles. Areas of our lives, we have to purify our hearts. Christians are notorious for this. We're notorious for this. 
Areas of basic obedience that we justify and make excuses as to why we don't have to obey. And I'm not talking about your inability to do it. I'm talking about they set your heart. I don't have to give. I'm going to tell you right now, people, this is a huge one. This is where everybody pushes back. They push back on, like if, we, if I was to give you the radical five, read your Bible, pray, commit and connect to church, financially give and live on mission. Three of those five nobody would argue about, but two of them they would. I don't have to give and I don't have to come to church every week. Who told you that? Where, you did that research where? You know, and then you justify excuses in your heart why you can't. That's regarding iniquity in your heart. You are, you are saying deliberately no to something that God has said yes to. And you decide, no, forgive, I don't want to, apologize, I don't want to, resolve the offense, I don't want to. That's regarding iniquity. And your life literally stops, and the Bible is telling us your heart is exposed, you're exposed, you're exposed. Unrepented, unrestored sin. Mark the righteous person, and mark the upright in heart, for their life will be peace, and they will have a prosperous future. You want peace and a prosperous future? It's righteousness, but it's in the heart. I may say to the Lord in my heart, I'm going to do this, but I may fail at times in my inability to do it. That's acceptable. What's not acceptable is when you say in your heart, I will not. That's where it is. It's not, God's not looking, he's looking at you because you, and you know it. You know where God's told you yes, and you've said no. You know it. You know where God says this, and you go, no, I'm not doing it. Don't eat the cookies, Johnny. No. Yes. <laughs> Clean your room. No. Gird up your loins with truth. What does this look like? So what it's telling us is to resolve the issues within our heart. Resolve these issues. Know who we are. Resolve the issues. Gird up. Belt. Pull it together with truth. You understand that? Eh? That's what he's saying. Pull your life together with truth. That's, that's what it means. Belt or gird. Put on the belt of truth. Pull it together with what is true. What does that mean? Where are the lies you are believing? The lies that Christians don't believe any lies in their mind, but their hearts are full of them. Mm-hmm. Say, how do you know that? Because look at their actions. It's not the things that you know in your mind. It's the behavior that's motivated about from your heart. You don't believe God is good. If you believed God is good, you would be behaving differently. You don't believe you have a hope and a future. If you believed you had a hope and a future in Christ, you would be be behaving differently. What does that mean? You have a lie in your heart. Oh, I know God's going to help me. I know God's going to help me. I know God's going to come through. I know God's going to come through. We regurgitate all this knowledge, yet our behavior is completely the opposite of what we say. Because we have a lie that resides within our hearts. What lies? So what he's saying is pull your life together with truth. Begin to discipline or direct your life in areas of what is true. Your dysfunctional actions or your dysfunctional inactions are a result of the lies that you believe in your heart. God's not good. I'm going to tell you what the common ones are. He's not good. Who told you that? God won't be good to me. Who told you that? Did Jesus, let's say this. Did Jesus say he would never be good to you? Did he say that? Yet you believe that. So if Jesus didn't say it and you believe it, then what you believe is a lie. Jesus has promised to come through, yet you believe he won't. So if Jesus has said it and you believe something different than what in Jesus' truth, then you believe your, your belief system is rooted in a lie. You get it? I'm not lovable. I'm not acceptable. I won't make it. Who told you that? Who told you you're not going to make it? Who told you you're not lovable? You know, my mom, my dad, my Lena. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks. I, there's mantras. Not only do I deal with the issues in my life, I have mantras in my life. 
statements of reinforcing belief that I pound into my head. So the Bible says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. You know what the Greek says? Pound it in your head. That's what it means. When it says, let this mind, it sounds so poetic. But if you read it in the Greek and in the context, it says, beat this into your skull. That was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you. Beat it into yourself. I tell myself, I'm going to succeed and not fail. I'm going to above only and not beneath. I, I, whatever it may be, God loves me on my worst day. I refuse to accept an identity that's below the one that my father has established over me. I say these things to myself all the time. And you think I just get you to say them. No, I'm saying it to myself. Good things are happening. Doesn't look like it. Doesn't matter. God is for me. There's a hope and a future for me. I will ride upon the high places. Doesn't matter. You have to develop it. You have to begin to pull it together with truth. Pull it together, man. Begin to, begin to speak it. If you, if there's a, sometimes lies are impacted through trauma. That's an inner healing issue. But other things that we just, we just partner with these lies. Stop partnering with these lies. God is good no matter what my circumstances tell me. God is good no matter what I understand. No matter my ignorance or my arrogance. God is good. Period. Period. You have to come to that place. Shod your feet with the gospel. We, always, we talk about like using this to be prepared to share a faith. That's only one component of this. The Greek word is hupadio. It means to put, upon, put under you or stand upon. Put under you or stand upon what? The gospel of peace. This gets powerful. What, what, what ends up happening, when you start reading this stuff in the original language, you see the spiritual intent that God meant. You see the power that actually, or the application that he actually meant to give us. Hupadio, put under you the euangelion of peace. Put under you the, 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 the gospel of peace. It's the word euangelion. It means to speak, to herald. We think the gospel's good news. That's not what it means. Euangelion means herald the good news. It's where we get the word evangelist from. Well, we just believe the gospel, or I live my life by the gospel. You live, so you live your life as a herald of the good news, with word and deed, with belief and action. That's how we're heralds of the good news. So stand and build your life in a way that heralds the good news. That brings the good news forth. With what? With wholeness and flourishing. What does this look like? You start speaking. You start declaring. I'm going to stand here. I'm going to shod my feet. I'm going to put the good news, the heralding of the good news under my feet. And I'm going to speak life. I'm going to speak wholeness. The gospel of peace, the Greek word and the Hebrew word are exactly the same in their meaning. Wellness, well-being, shalom, flourishing, rising, prosperity. That's what it means in the Hebrew, rising prosperity. So when they look at you and go shalom, they'd say rising prosperity, right? I'm going to speak and I'm going to herald the good news of what? Rising prosperity. I'm going to stand right here. I'm not going to move, and I'm going to herald rising prosperity and the good news of that into my life. Try it. So many verses about opening your mouth. I tell you, there's a spirit of mute that has come over the church. We will not speak. The devil mutes our voice. And you know why he does? Because he knows the power that resides within the voice. He knows the power of the proclaimed word. He knows the power of the proclaimed promises. He knows the power of the prophetic. The very thing he tries to do is mute the life of the believer. Yeah. When God created, what did he say? Let there be. Did he not speak? Right? Are we not made in his image? Talitha Kumai, little girl, I say to you, arise. How about you look at your circumstances and go, Talitha Kumai. Finances, I say to you, arise. 
I mean, how about you start speaking? How about you start, well, that's not dignified. Who cares? Who cares? I'm not interested in dignity. I'm interested in power, in glory, in honor, in kingdom. I have no, and no regard for dignity. That's undignified. It's undignified. We need to be dignified, Pastor. We've got to be dignified. Who told you that? David, we'd laugh him out of our churches, man. The brother danced in his underwear. Leaping and twirling. Imagine that. The mayor of our city coming in here and just leaping and twirling in his BBDs. We'd be like, somebody needs to calm him down. Or at the public parade, somebody mentions Jesus. And the mayor just takes off his clothes and says, this jacket's too restricting. Get me out of this tie. Get this shirt off me. You know? I need to jump. I need to shout. I need to move. And Jesus is like, yeah. Us. This is us. Shout to the Lord. You realize we're singing a song about shouting and we're not shouting? Shout to the Lord. Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Let us sing. Lift up hands without doubt. And you know who he commands that to? Men. Because men are the least likely to lift up their hands. I desire that men lift up their hands. Men, lift up your hands. Do you know why? Because your, li- your wife is far more likely to be emotionally demonstrative than you. But the Bible commands in Timothy that the men are to lift their hands. Interesting. Just a thought. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. <laughs> It's a Roman sword. I'm almost done. We're going to do a declaration, so i got to hurry up. Roman sword. It's called the gladius. Romans would fight. The Roman sword, which is the word of God. That's what Paul's talking about. Paul's looking at a Roman in armor. And he's saying, this is how we are in the spirit. If we're going to fight, we have to fight in the spirit. The Romans fought brutal. In that world, one of the ways the Romans dominated is they fought with brutality. A knife in their head and their teeth and a rag on their head. They had a, sword, a, a shield called the scutum. And they had a sword called the gladius. And they would just march together in rank until they got in close proximity. And then they'd smash the enemy in the face and hack them to pieces. Brutal. Close quarters combat. That's what he's referencing. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's the Greek word pele. And it's where we get the word wrestle. You know what it means? Throw to the ground and grab them by the throat. That's what it means. We do not throw flesh to the ground and choke hold it. We throw devils to the ground and circumstances to the ground and choke hold it. Oh, we're lambs. Oh, we're this. You know, we get into this. The, the language is very blunt. The warfare, is, warfare is warfare. The enemy don't play fair. Why are you? Why are you? I'm going to get him on the ground. I'm going to put my armpit in his face. I'm like, here, you like that? You like that? Huh? You want the other one? You want the other one? (laughs) Throw him to the ground and chokehold him. Throw your circumstances to the ground and put it in a chokehold with the word of God. March forward in faith with the shield of faith. Quenching the fiery darts. The Roman shield was curved so that the arrows would glance off and they would oil it. Take your faith and immerse it in oil. And they are, the arrows bounce and they would march right until they got right into their face. And the first thing they would do was they would smash them in the face. Boom. They would knock them backwards. Faith is a weapon. Just as much as the sword is a weapon. 
But without that sword, without faith, they could not advance. I don't care how good they were with the sword. They're going to march towards their enemy and the enemy's going to shoot them down long before they get there because they've not coupled it with faith. Just a thought. They would march forward to shield the faith. The Roman historians would, would talk about how the Romans would conquer the world. And it said the enemies would be so terrified of their brutality that they would literally run. They would win battles before they would even start. Because they would see and know these guys are going to come right up in my face. You need to make the devil, you need to become too expensive for the devil to mess with. We're not messing with him. Dude, every time we do, we get choked out. Oh, I don't know. God just doesn't love me. I'm just here and he doesn't love me. Lord's like, get the devil off your couch, pick him up, throw him to the ground and put him in a chokehold. That's the language. That's the language. Fight. Fight in the spirit. Proclaim the promises. Tell the devil what time it is. He's telling you what time it is. Tell your circumstances what time it is. Stand in faith. Confront the stress. And then it says prayer with all kinds of prayers. All kinds of prayers. So what's it look like? Do all of these things and then pray. What kind of prayers? All kinds of prayers. Singing prayers, declarative prayers, tongue-talking prayers, intercession prayers, right? That's what it's telling us. Prayers of supplication, all kinds of prayers. Pray in every way possible. Pray. And there are three things that God expects from us in these circumstances. He expects us to trust Him. He expects us to stay in faith. And he expects us to be determined in our perseverance. This is what God expects of us. You say, what is the Lord looking at me to do? He's expecting you to trust him. He's expecting you to operate in faith and do what he tells you to do. And he's expecting you to be determined in your perseverance and not quit. That's what he's expecting. So we're going to do a proclamation. So be kind to me. I wrote a prayer. What God's telling me and what I'm trying to do is I kind of relate this and I give you these principles. And I want to give you just a very simple prayer of activation. We're going to say it together. Happy day. We're going to say it at home. Happy day. So I'd like you to stand. This is a prayer that's correlated to the armor of God. It's not everything, but it's a basic prayer. And you're going to feel a lot better when you say it. We're going to do this. You say this. In the name of Jesus, I declare my identity in Christ. I'm a son or a daughter of the highest. I have been adopted into the family of God by the blood of Jesus. I am no longer born of an earthly bloodline, but I am born of a heavenly one. And I am adopted with full rights of inheritance. Today, I take my rightful place as a son or as a daughter of the highest. And I declare that I know who I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am accepted and beloved by my Heavenly Father through the blood of Jesus. I am empowered by the Holy Spirit with all of the promises of Scripture are yes to me and amen to me and are given to me by right of inheritance. I cleanse my heart of all unrighteousness, anything and everything that is offensive to my Heavenly Father. I renounce all and any of my willful disobediences to the Word and to the Spirit. I choose to reconcile my disobedience this day. And I purpose, come on, help me. I purpose to do what is right 
according to the word and according to the spirit. No matter the personal cost, I choose to forgive all who have offended me. I release them of all offenses because this is right. And if the offense is too great, I will go to them as the scripture commands in Matthew 18. I purpose to reconcile all offenses that I have made against others, whether it is by word or whether it is by deed. I will account and reconcile through apology or through restoration. It does not matter if it was my intention to offend. I will reconcile based upon the perception of the one who has been offended. I choose to purify my heart of anything that is not right to my heavenly father and to do what is right before him. Ready? Here we go. One, two more. I renounce all of the lies that say God is not good. I renounce all of the lies that say I am not accepted or I am not going to make it. I stand upon and I speak forth the good news of the kingdom into my life that if God is for me, who can be against me? I speak forth the good news that I will rise and not fall, that I will succeed and not fail, that I will ride upon the high places, that I am blessed in everything that I do and that my enemies will become my footstool because my heart is faithful and trusting in the Lord. The word of the Lord is a sword in my hand. I take it and I wield it like a weapon and like a surgical instrument. The word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word of God is my final authority. I do not live by bread alone, but by every word that is written, revealed, and proclaimed by the word of God. I take my stand in faith and obedience, and I activate these things by prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Come on. Well, let me close with a blessing. God loves you all the time. He is forever for you and never against you. I want to encourage you that you're going to make it. Who told you you weren't? We're going to come out of all of these situations and we're going to be better for it. And we're going to be stronger. And you believe that. Let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may the Lord give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. Amen. God loves you. We love you. And have a wonderful, wonderful week.